Welcome to the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. On today's podcast, we're going to have Dominic Kuza. He's going to be talking about the educational performance practice with diuretic use. Now, guys, with the Olympia here coming up um, and this podcast being released around the same time, we're going to discuss the dangers that can affect heart and kidney health. Now, with that, um, WPB Health Consulting's mission is to bring clarity to coaching and consulting practice. WPB stands for Wellness, Performance, and Bodybuilding. Um, How we do this is by developing and elevating health coaches and clients to make sure that you guys have the best up-to-date information regarding performance. Now, we also have a coaching service along with this podcast, and our coaching service, our goal is to help empower you and be in constant contact to uplift you towards your goals. We want to thank so many people for listening to this podcast in the United States and all over the world as you guys are amazing. Without your support, this mission would not be able to be accomplished. Um, So keep continuing to share and um, put this information out there as we can't thank you enough. Otherwise, let's get started for our podcast here today as we're going to talk with Dominic Cusa of Gifted Performance discussing diuretic use in bodybuilding. All right, guys, thanks for listening in on our podcast with Dominic Cusa discussing diuretic use in bodybuilding. Um, so far, we've talked about a lot of different things that are really going to impact uh, performance within the bodybuilding community. Now, a lot of uh, related deaths have been um, recently reported within bodybuilding, and it can be really, really dangerous. So make sure you're talking with your doctor. Um, we are not medical professionals who can prescribe medication. This is the scope of practice of your clinical doctor. Make sure you're discussing your lab lab results, anything we talk about here today um, in regard to use um, with bodybuilding if you choose to. Um, otherwise, what we want to really emphasize is getting lean enough for the shows. That's the most important thing um, so that you don't have to depend on some of these drugs to use. Now, with that being said, if you guys have any questions or want to discuss this a little bit more in depth, please contact us and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. Today, we have a special guest and um, a guest who has actually already been on our podcast, Mr. Dominic Cusa of Team Cusa and Gifted Performance. So without further ado, Dom, can you introduce yourself to our lovely audience? Yeah, uh, well, first off, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I was excited when you reached out to do another one together. So we had a great time the first time and uh, I appreciate having me back on for sure. Uh, well, uh, if you guys don't know who I am from the last episode, um, my name is Dominic Cusa. I'm a prep coach, lifestyle coach. Um, I coach enhanced athletes, uh, natural athletes. I've been doing this for about five years now. Um, so getting, uh, getting more exposure now and definitely growing and things are going great. So awesome. So it's been a pleasure to have Dom on already once, and now we get to have two times. So this is fantastic. Dom, if you don't mind, how's your contest prep season been going for your athletes? And walk me through kind of your athletes and their successes so far. Yeah, everything's been going pretty well. Um, we've had prior to prior to North Americans, uh, everyone, everyone reached a first call out nationally. Um, we had a lot of people one one placing short of their pro cards. So I probably have had five this year 
off the top of my head that missed by a placing. So that's, that's always rough, but uh, we're, we're definitely, you know, knocking at the door. Uh, we've had a bunch of overalls in Michigan, uh, which is great. And then uh, North Americans went pretty well. We had a bunch of top 10 finishes. We had a few top twos, top one or top twos, few top threes. Um, so everything's been going pretty well. Thankfully, I got a little bit of a break now. I don't have anybody competing until uh, till the end of this month and then uh, October and then not till nationals after that. So um, definitely slowing down now. The big bulk of my season's pretty much over with. Sounds like a pretty dang good season, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. overall. So those those pro cards are elusive, man. They <laughs> are. <laughs> I can I can definitely say, I mean, one of your guys I saw who is the your men's physique competitor, um, who's I don't know what his name is exactly, but for uh, it, like he, Ryan Zaris. No, no, no. He's a natural. Oh, Kobe. Yeah. 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 He looks like a freak. You peaked him so well. <laughs> yeah, dude. I I mean, he's done he did three national shows this year. He did junior nationals. He took third in masters and fourth in the open. And then he's like, Oh, I want to do masters nationals. I was like, okay, let's do it. Takes third there. Jeez. And then, so like top two returning pro with these. So he's short one, short yeah. one. And then we did North Americans, another third place, which was tough, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He's a, he's a natural guy, dude. And it's like, Cause like I got the chance to see him in person at North Americans and mm -hmm. it's crazy how much size the other guys have on him, but the judges love his look and he sticks with them pretty well. These guys easily have like 20, 30 pounds on him. Sure. Yeah. Insane to, to hold that and, and be at essentially top three at, at the national level. And he's so close, you know, like you were saying, yeah, it's crazy next year or whenever his next prep is man it's it you know i feel for him so i'm rooting for him all right so let's get get going into the podcast so a couple things guys we're going to talk about advanced contest prep strategies um recently if you guys have been following a lot of news within bodybuilding specifically um there's been some controversy of um coaches using um, inappropriate protocols or using protocols that are just absurd. Um, and it's ended up killing some athletes. Um, we don't know if it's direct. We don't know, obviously the cause of that. We can't correlate that obviously. Um, but there are some things that we want to kind of go over with some of the drugs that are used. Um, so one of the things we're going to talk about here first, um, is diuretic use. Um, so let's talk about what are some common diuretic use um, situations that you're seeing within the competition community, Dom? Uh, so I'd say like common themes of it are probably similar to like, uh, you know, just using a little bit of a diuretic the night before to try to push as much, um, you know, that little bit of sub Q water that somebody might still be holding on the night before trying to really time that so that, you know, the morning of you know, they're a drier quote unquote. Um, I also, I've seen, I've seen a good bit of it used like to make weight without having to deplete as hard. Uh, that's a bit more advanced, uh, like approach to things. Cause that's definitely hard to do. Um, but, uh, the, the common themes are pretty similar. I think what happened with this whole situation that arose, um, where we talked about it, we kind of used it as an educational, um, 
opportunity. But I think what happened with that was, um, you know, multiple different diuretics used at the same time, two of them doing the same exact thing. Um, and then, you know, it, I, it's hard to say that the protocol wasn't that the diuretic protocol, in my opinion, wasn't absurd. It was the protocol that went hand in hand with it when it came to water and sodium. Sure. That was probably a bit more extreme. Um, that w- probably is what led to the problem. Um, I don't think it was necessarily the diuretic usage that did it. It was probably the water sodium protocol that probably caused it. Now, I think a lot of that comes from just understanding, you know, pharmacodynamics of diuretics, which a lot of people don't like, and a lot of, you know, I hear it all the time. One of my biggest pet peeves when people talk about diuretics, they, they call them water pills. Like that, that just in itself means you don't know what this thing does. So I think, uh, I think a lot of that has to do with just like misunderstanding, you know, the true mechanism of action that these drugs have. Um, because at the end of the day, these are FDA approved things. They're used day in, day out with people with, you know, congestive heart failure. If they have like edema issues, if they have blood pressure issues, they're prescribed every single day. So there is a relative, you know, safety amount. Every drug has a safety like index. So, you know, to, to take that into consideration when talking about a drug, you really have to understand the mechanism behind it. And, you know, that has to be implemented in the protocol as well. So I think that's where probably a lot of the issue is coming from is just simply not understanding things like that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I also like what you mentioned with um, discussing of fluid balance with the use of diuretics, but also water and sodium, right? Like the potassium sodium um, balance that we're talking about here today. Um, for those who are listening, we're just going to talk about establishing the f- basic physiology behind why this happens, um, of why do we have to hold sodium and water, and then we'll go from there. So um, with a lot of this, this situation, um, we're talking about water um, balance and fluid balance, but ha- using the term water pill is just a generic term yeah, I think, like I mean, what you mentioned to get water off of you they don't really know how it happens they just know like hey i pee a lot right and that's about it that's all i know <laughs> yeah so i mean <laughs> dude i was in north americans and i'm walking through the lobby this girl's out on the phone and she's like yeah my coach just told me to take my water pill now and i was like oh my god i was like what? i can't i can't oh, deal god. with this oh my god but i that's i mean it is I don't know. You get what you pay for, I guess. Sure. That's, that's an accurate statement. Um, so look into your, your coaching and information. Absolutely. So let's talk about the types of diuretics. Um, so we talked about the importance of sodium and potassium, um, the risks of having too much, uh, or too little sodium or too much potassium can cause a lot, like Dom said, a lot of heart issues, right? Like cardiac patients are using these every day and there is an index of safety with that. Um, the goal is to try to prevent having a cardiac event of some sort. Um, in this case, we're not talking about prevention of cardiac event. We're talking about, like you said, subcutaneous water loss in most cases. Yeah. So let's talk about the types of diuretic or quote unquote water pills. 
um, yes. and go from there. <laughs> so, so um, we'll start with probably like one of the more well-known ones, uh, like a diazide, which is a hydrochlorothiazide um, mixed with a different diuretic called trianthrene, which is a potassium sparing diuretic, but we'll just focus on thiazide diuretics right now. Um, so like along your kidney or your nephron, like a nephron cell, you'll have, uh, kind of looks like a big, like a big U almost to where, you know, there's, it starts here, it goes down into the loop of Henley and then towards the top, um, towards the top of it, there's a point where a thigh, the thiazide diuretic will act on. And that is where, um, it'll inhibit sodium from being reabsorbed. Mm -hmm. So when you prevent the reabsorption of sodium, you promote the excretion of water because water will tend to follow sodium. So if we stop sodium from being reabsorbed, it's going to be excreted. What's going to follow with that? Water is going to follow with that. We're going to have an excretion of water too. But, um, like a thiazide diuretic, um, what it can do is it only can work up to the filtered amount. So the amount of the fluid there, how much sodium is present is the amount it's going to only be able to work on. So uh, you'll see things like, um, like diuretic effect of a diuretic. Thiazides are about a five to 10 percentage diuresis effect. So they're not crazy powerful, but they're definitely strong enough to cause like an increase in urine flow, something that you'll actually notice. Um, the reason why we look for that is in like a contest prep situation is we're trying to reduce blood volume so that if we reduce blood volume, we reduce blood, uh, like water in the blood, pretty much. We have to start pulling it from other places. So once we start pulling it, you know, um, from the blood, it goes from the GI tract and then from the GI tract, it pulls from the muscle. And then once the muscle needs a little bit of water, it pulls it from the sub Q and thus getting that drier, less water look under your skin. So that's the main reason why diuretics are used to try to pull sub Q water. And, you know, we can see that from a medical standpoint too, because if we reduce blood volume, blood pressure comes down, um, and then those things happen through that. So those are how thiazides work. Um, you know, and then there's uh, loop diuretics, which are very powerful diuretics because where they act in the kidney is the loop of Henley or uh, more specifically the thick ascending limb of the nephron. Mm -hmm. And that is where we see about 25% sodium reabsorption. So if we inhibit up to 25% of sodium reabsorption, we're going to have up to 25% sodium excretion. And now with that excretion, we see a lot of water coming out of there too. So we have about a 25% diuretic effect at that point. So with like a Lasix or a Bumex, which are popular loop diuretics, you'll see that immediate onset of like urination pretty quickly because of how you know strong they are so that's another reason why loop diuretics are really powerful but one thing to keep in mind too with all these diuretics is 
they don't just act on sodium. They act on every, um, you know, electrolyte, I guess you call them just to classify all of them together. Because if we're blocking the, in, uh, if we're blocking the reabsorption or transport of sodium, we're also going to be altering the amount of potassium that's getting absorbed because now we are shifting that, that gradient balance and now things can't get in and things can't get out. So we're losing potassium, we're losing chloride, we're losing other um, electrolytes in the process. Because if like a loop diuretic like Lasix, it prevents chloride from being transported because they all, so it like works on one transporter that transports sodium, chloride, and um, potassium, but it, it blocks the chloride from being transported, which in, in turn kind of messes that whole thing up and you can't transport the other two either. So if we're not reabsorbing all those, that's where we could have electrolyte imbalances. You know, if you, if you have too low of potassium, you could have a heart arrhythmia. Um, you know, there's a ton of different things that could happen. Yeah. I think what Dom explains very well is like the, the degree of impact that each of the medications has on these, on your individuals. So I think a good takeaway out of this, like, thank you for explaining that. Obviously that's, that's really good. Um, he posted about this the other day and did a really good job of like describing the diagram. What I would recommend is for those first to, to kind of understand active and passive transport before they get into <laughs> some mechanism yeah. of action. Um, but basically what he's saying is like, if you, like in summary is the thiazides, like we talked about has a 5% sodium reabsorption rate versus the loop diuretic, which is approximately 25%. So a huge jump, right? So that's a pretty massive jump. So if an individual like a coach is prescribed or not prescribing, but giving you recommendations to, Hey, maybe you should jump on this to get some water off of you. Like take this water pill, be careful with understanding why, right? And I like what you said, you get what you pay for. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you do. Uh, it's kind of sad, but yeah, and you know, that, that's what we have to deal with right now. Unfortunately, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, so pretty much like what these diuretics do in, in turn, like if I could summarize as best as I could, we'll just use sodium as our main focus. As much sodium as it prevents reabsorption, that's how much water you're going to lose because water will always follow where sodium's going. So if we're excreting 5% sodium, we're probably excreting 5% water. You know, and, and these are just general numbers if I'm just looking at things, but there's other things at play, obviously, but that's kind of how these, that's kind of how you can look at the degree of power, I guess, which drugs have on what. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big things that you really mentioned too is the the electrolyte knowing the other results of that right so like dom said earlier too is after water excretion there's an issue of electrolyte imbalance so let's talk about that a little bit more in depth so if you have an individual who is using um, diuretics specifically um, to get a little bit water off before they get on stage um, how do you handle the nutritional protocol with that how do you understand that going in what variables are you kind of tracking moving into that kind of so process theoretically diuretic use or not for a client i always track sodium and potassium whether they're not using one or if they're going to use one um hypothetically so 
I always know how much potassium they're intaking. I always know how much sodium they're intaking for weeks before their contest like day. So that is a good way to really see like where that person's at, because let's say we add this variable in now, and I know potassium's bleeding. I know sodium's bleeding. I know I have to add up over their baseline because they're bleeding out from it. They're, they're bleeding means, you know, they're losing potassium, they're losing sodium. So I have to go over their baselines to kind of replenish that, to get them back to where I know their look is really solid, but at the same time, they're flushing out any of that water. Yeah. It's, so, I can so see for like a lot of coaches, I'll tell them like, you know, I get a lot of people that reach out to me and ask me about these things just because I know them pretty well. And I always tell them, make sure you're tracking potassium and sodium. Um, I feel like it's super important to know what they're using at that time. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, as you said, you're noticing the trends and the data before it actually happens the day before the show. Um, and I like what you explained with the rebound effect, right? Because of the excretion of just essentially getting rid of the electrolytes, but the rebound effect of, hey, this is what, instead of guessing, you, oh, it, is in more, it is more or less a guess, but um, it's a more educated, more practical guess, um, I think what you're doing, which is really, really good and really important. So if you are in a situation, guys, where you feel like you're having questions about that, make sure you reach out to one of us to discuss some of these. And I think Dom does an excellent job of that. So let's talk about um, the potassium sparing diuretics and specifically with um, like a high potassium based diet. I know we've talked about this in the last podcast where there's, we've seen, and I I've seen this backstage where an individual is backstage or slamming a bunch or they ate a bunch of potatoes and they're on a potassium sparing diuretic. And they're like, what is going on? I look like crap. How would yeah. you kind of address that situation? So potassium sparing diuretics, um, the most popular has to be aldactone. So um, with like spirolactone, aldactone, it's an aldosterone receptor antagonist. So it binds to the mineral corticoid receptor instead of allowing aldosterone to. And what that does is it kind of shuts... I'm trying not to get as, uh, as deep as possible. But <laughs> <laughs> so like what those kind of do in a way, they kind of shut, they shut down transporters, uh, for sodium. And then they kind of, the, they'll stop, they'll stop the, the cell from making more transport channels. So there's less channels for sodium to go through. And then there's less channels for the sodium potassium to go through. So we're saving that potassium while losing the sodium. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably as cliff notes as I can get on that. I like that. So the uh, sparing effect, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so it's yeah. sparing, it's sparing potassium. <laughs> um, but you're losing, you're losing some sodium, but where it acts in the nephron, there's a really low diuretic effect from aldactone. So like from potassium sparing diuretics, um, Really, aldactone is probably the only one you'll come across uh, unless you're taking diazide. There's triamterene in there, um, which kind of works a little bit differently. But for the sake of this, this we'll just talk about aldactone. Um, your diuretic effect is super low. You're looking at like one to maybe 2%. 
So it's not strong enough to where you'll take it and then have to notice you're peeing a lot more because the, the way, the way it functions is it's not going to respond in a huge urination, like urine flow increase, something like loop diuretics would or thiazide would because its impact on blood volume isn't as high as those other ones. Um, so with aldactone, now we're saving a lot of potassium. Um, one of, uh, what, uh, Broderick Chavez is a really good friend and, uh, of like gifted. And he t- talks about aldactone as it's the worst diuretic, but it's the best potassium storage builder. So you can really pump up potassium storages when using aldactone. Um, and that, uh, is why like high potassium diets while on this could cause hyperkalemia or elevated blood potassium levels, which again could lead into like arrhythmia, chest tightness, things like that. And then just that overall electrolyte imbalance could really ruin a look. You could not be moving water as much as possible or Mm -hmm. sodium um, because again, your gradient is off. Mm -hmm. So what is your, your guys's gradient or like your ratio that you're looking for in your clients? What is so there I a- kind of establish it throughout prep. Okay. You know, some guys look really good one-to-one. Some guys look good, like, um, you know, like uh, 0.5 to one, you know, uh, it just really depends. Kind of just see how things are going. Um, usually around four weeks out is when I ask, like how much salt have you been using? Mm-hmm. And then once they tell me, Um, because initially they'll start prep. I'll tell them salt your food and everything like that. And then I'll tell them after that, like, you know, how much have you been using a couple cranks? What are you doing? And if they tell me a couple cranks, I'll make them do the cranks in a teaspoon Mm -hmm. and then measure it out, measure it out. Then that's our starting point. And then from there, I can kind of guess like, okay, if they're drinking this much water, they're only taking this much salt. Let me bump their salt. They're probably, they're probably not enough sodium. So I kind of build that ratio over time. Uh, it's nothing specific, but, uh, I like a one-to-one if I had to like give you an answer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah a one-to-one is probably going to be the most ideal for most people. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think also what you mentioned too was, um, understanding what they look like in, in that, in the pictures when they're super lean. Um, cause obviously that's going to determine, right? Like your ratio a little bit more in depth. Um, but you said like four weeks out is when you're assessing and you're kind of going down the line. Yeah. So that's when I'll like, kind of really get into them about like water intake daily. Um, you know, uh, sodium intake daily potassium. Most of it comes from food. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really messing with their potassium. I'm not like adding potassium chloride or anything like that. Right. What is the, let's go into another question. What is some dangers you're, you've seen with some of these uses? Um, whether it's your firsthand experience, I know you mentioned one earlier, kind of, it's not really super dangerous how they called up their coach and was like, yo, let me, when do I take oh, this? Yeah. <laughs> but what are some things that you've heard or seen um, that are some definitely red flags for some coaches or clients to look for? Uh, probably, um, I would say if, if you're given a protocol that has these things in them and then that protocol slowly pulls down sodium and water towards longer being on these for longer, 
So like, let's say you start them Thursday and then you're on them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and your water's getting lower as those days go. That's probably a nice red flag to probably be like, why am I drinking less while on these things? Um, and then also with salt and other, you know, if you're telling me not to add any salt, but use these, you know, how much salt am I actually going to, you know, how much sodium is my blood even going to have at that point? Which aside from just how you look, you know, if sodium's too low, you're not going to be moving carbs as well. You know, there's other things than just your look at the end that these things play in a role. And um, another one's cramping. I'll see a lot of people start cramping, which is usually, again, it's just, it's an imbalance of electrolytes and water. Um, if you're on a potassium sparing diuretic, you know, we know you have a good amount of potassium stored. So your fix is going to be either salt or water or both. Mm -hmm. Um, so just those things, you know, uh, Broderick actually taught me that if somebody's cramping pretty badly to drink hot water with salt in it. And the reason why, uh, it needs to be hot was because it will reach, it'll reach the temperature needed to be transported faster. Because if you drink like cold water, it has to sit in your stomach come up to temperature and then it's moved. Mm, yeah. So a way to get the water in pretty quickly with that added sodium is to drink hot water. Um, and that even goes for if you're not even on a diuretic, that's a good way to get water in quickly. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. What you uh, add towards the, the end there, there's um, many athletes that I've seen cramping on stage in their, like in their pose downs. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a good point to make is, hey, understanding like your fluid balance along with your electrolyte imbalance. Um, so let's talk about um, with, especially with this, your, your kind of season and your contest prep, um, what are some things to expect from your guys' team here coming up? Let's talk about um, you guys as a whole. Yeah, so um, now that my season's pretty wrapped up and I don't have too many coming up uh i'm doing a youtube series for first-time competitors kind of like uh because i haven't coached many first-timers the past like two years um but like i had a few this year and it kind of sparked the idea for me um just to like go over everything like my first episode that's coming out next week um is going to be like so you want to compete what are the expectations what kind of adherence is required what are some things you need to like check off like before starting? Um, so I'm doing a whole series on that, like A to Z, like how a show days ran because people don't know these things if they're first timers. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um, Paul is actually heading up a huge educational project um, because we want to start doing some educational stuff and do some master classes and things like that. Um, how to read blood work, how to, you know, assess things, how to make changes if needed. And just, uh, talking about things like that. And then, um, I'm not sure what some of the other guys are up to because we're so diverse at gifted. Um, mm -hmm. you know, me and Paul, uh, me and Paul, mainly the bodybuilding competitive stuff. And then Ryan's into the CrossFit space. And we, so we have so many things going on there. I'm sure they have a bunch of other ideas. Yeah. I think that you, you guys produce a lot of awesome content. So check that out, guys, if you are listening um, or be on the lookout for 
their educational sessions and masterclass, especially you bodybuilders out there. It's going to get some great content. So professor, Dr. <laughs> Dom Kuza can get you <laughs> on this. Um, so let's talk about one thing that you mentioned in there was blood work, especially with kind of what we're talking about here today is something that can relate to a lot of blood markers, obviously. Um, are you seeing any uh, specific labs? Or are you are you requesting any specific labs post-contest prep that you're recommending for an athlete um, for this kind of situation regarding potential kidney health or um, thyroid health or anything along those lines? Yeah, so um, Life Extension um, has a really good like blood tests um, section to the website where you can like buy private labs and they have a comprehensive weight loss lab um, that's pretty solid um, that I have people do post-show. Um, even for like enhanced guys and girls, getting the blood work after the show immediately is, in my opinion, way more important than waiting four to five weeks after your show. Because at the end of the day, of course, you know, your stuff's going to probably be back to normal five to six weeks after, you know, not doing anything. I, you should see the effect those things have on you immediately post-show. Um, so like thyroid, I, I request free T4, free T3, reverse T3, TSH, and then um, depending on how prep went, I might have them get a thyroid antibody test to kind of rule out any autoimmune diseases. Um, at that point, if that came back positive, they'd have to go see an endo and then look at that. Um, one thing I have been doing for um, kidney health is instead of just a basic EGFR creatinine, I've been having getting be, I've, I've been having people get cystatin C's, which is a marker specific to your kidney. And then from a cystatin C, you could actually calculate a more accurate EGFR. Um, so like you might, you know, you might get people that have like you know, they've always ran a little bit higher creatinine, um, or a little bit lower EGFR and like a normal creatinine, um, have them get the cystatin C. There's a formula you can use where you take, you know, their current creatinine, the cystatin C, and then it spits out a more accurate EGFR. Um, so that's one I've been doing with a lot of people. Uh, it's like an extra 40 bucks or something like that, but it's, it's worth it. I think that's a great deal. I mean, Truthfully, like you said, um, a lot of these competitors are com coming out to a, coming out of a contest prep with potentially higher creatinine levels, anyways, um, from just muscle damage or just stress on their whole body. Well, if they use the diuretic, it could raise creatinine falsely. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's another one to think about too. I mean, when I competed, I competed on Saturday, flew home Sunday, went and did blood work Monday. So I got my blood work two days post-show um, wow. and, and I was, cause I was curious. I wanted to see, you know, what I put my body through, you know, obviously there's all the measures I take, you know, preventatively and try to get ahead of things, but I wanted to see truly like, what does my body do? And, you know, luckily I am more of a resilient person, um, which I think is another, like, it's a probably another genetic thing. Um, but like, I was really curious just to see what I put my body through. How does that spit out on my blood work? Did your so, numbers look pretty good? 
Dude, my EGFR and creatinine was the best I've ever seen it. <laughs> wow. So that's I was, crazy. <laughs> I was, uh, I was very, I mean, we all were shocked. Paul, Paul didn't believe it. He was like, this is bullshit. And I was <laughs> like, oh, it's real. Um, did someone else take the test? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. Like my, uh, I think the only thing which was expected was my LDLs were a bit elevated. Sure. And, but like even my AST, ALT were like a 40 and a 50. It was wow. probably <laughs> as elevated as if I went and just trained the day before. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to say that is uh, very minor. <laughs> yeah. So, and, but I think that's important to understand, you know, not to use it as an excuse to push the throttle even further, but sure. just to, you know, to understand where your body sits at mm-hmm. the end of a contest prep and how you experience through all those things. Sure. That makes sense. So talk me through kind of your game plan for your next competition season, what you're doing right now. What does that look like for you individually? Um, right now, um, and then I have like three or four weeks left of this growth phase. And then I'll probably put, go to like a maintenance for a good bit. Um, my plan is nationals the end of next year. Um, but we are expecting our, our first child in February. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thank you. So depending on how that goes and how like a new baby is, um, I'll decide (laughs) if I prep or not. I'm in no rush. I love coaching. I love educating. I like doing that way more than I like competing. Um, so if it, if, it, if it all falls, you know, the cards align, I'll do it, but that we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll be working with, um, hopefully soon, actually, we'll be starting with Chris Tuttle. Um, he was my coach back in 20, 2018, 2019 for a good bit of time. And then we just have been, st- we stayed in touch and we talk a lot. Um, so I asked him to, you know, take over things and give him like almost a whole year kind of to, just work together and see awesome. what we can do. Awesome. So let's talk about to kind of finalize here some some things here. So um, obviously the big topic we were, we were discussing earlier was, hey, we have some issues in the community of understanding fluid balance, right? Um, so with that, are you are you thinking or seeing um, some issues with, you know, potential drug use that's leading to different other causes that are not necessarily in regard to fluid dynamics, or would you say it's still, are you leaning more towards the fluid imbalances or what are you kind of thinking with kind of the, the things as far as doing? like, what's as dangerous right now? Yeah. What, what is like the common theme that you think is going on right now? The hot topic. Um, I think it's still this diuretic talk. You think so? Yeah. Well, see like Leo and longevity, when they had first talked about this, they, uh, I, I don't even, I think his name is Leo, the host. Um, he made a great point. He said, none of these drugs will kill you except a diuretic. Like if you really mess up taking a diuretic, you could die. Mm-hmm. He made a good point saying that because it's like, yeah, we know anabolics have great health repercussions but is it going to kill you immediately this moment right now? Probably not. Is insulin going to do that to somebody? Could, but that would be a really big mistake that that person actually sure. made. Um, but a diuretic, you know, it could take one Bumex, two Bumex with 
with not the right amount of everything else and it could kill you. Yeah. So he made a good point by saying that. And I think it's important because getting that information out there, teaching people about these things, you know, if they're working with a coach and coach sends them peak week stuff and they see these things on there, you know, why not look at them and say, okay, I understand how these should be used, but why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are we taking this out? If you can spark those conversations up from competitors, I think you'll see a better shift in how dangerous things are getting as far as diuretic use, because um, I think diuretics shouldn't be demonized, but they should, but there should be more education that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of misinformation or not enough education, one of the two, um, that's out there. And I think it's it can be, obviously, like you said, pretty scary if administered incorrectly. Yeah. Um, so I think understanding that, I like what you guys are doing with the, um, the series of contest prep, understanding that. One thing I like to mention, too, is getting leaner, too, um, and not, you know, relying on a diuretic use yeah like just get in shape you won't even have to deal with this <laughs> god yeah i mean that's i think the biggest takeaway that i've <laughs> gotten out of this is people just don't want to push to get lean enough they want to rely on something right yeah, like i agree if you're 95 percent there and you know hey like i can push a little bit harder but instead you're taking a, a drug use it's like well, like, I don't know what to say to that. Like, um, or even I would say less like 80% there. Just don't do the show. Like, yeah. Even if you signed up, it's like, you got to talk with your coach. You got to understand like the, the, the bigger picture than just stepping on. on but stage. I think that goes into the mentality of the competitor, which I talked about in that, in my first episode that's coming out, don't do a show just to do a show. If you're fine with getting on stage at 80%, this, this sport's not for you Mm -hmm. because you're just going to be upset with your result. All these things are going to happen. And if you're only pushing yourself to 80%, maybe you shouldn't even be doing this in the first place. But, and and, cause I think I've seen and I've experienced competitors like that Mm -hmm. where they're fine with being 70% on stage Mm -hmm. and then they never compete again. Mm -hmm. so I think that has to do a lot with mentality too because you'll get guys that are like I'll eat whatever you want I'll do all the cardio you want I'll train all you want all that then you got the guys that ask the drug questions first training second that's where you know where that person's head is directed yes I like that the the focus of where is the prep going to take me Mm -hmm. um and then also if you're doing your first show or your first time competition, you're relying on a drug use. I, I would, I mean, like a diuretic specifically, I would highly advise questioning, like you said, is this sport for you? Um, and understanding like, Hey, this is a bigger picture for you. Like longevity wise, like, would it be worth it? Um, yeah. so there's a, I'm trying to think of the, who the coach is, but I think, I want to say it's um, Steve from Revive Stronger podcast, but he talks about like, think of yourself in 10 years if you're going to make this decision um, with some of this, but have an education and understand like bigger picture with some of these things. Um, 
but yeah, I think you hit it, hit the nail on the head with that too, is understanding your client from a coaching perspective is very important too. So um, for you clients out there who are listening, um, make sure you're communicating that up front. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, all right, Dom. So I think we're, we're close to ending on time here. So I, I want to make sure that you have uh, anything else that you'd want to say here today or summarize before I let you go here. No, I mean, just that question. Just if you're looking for more education, there's a lot of free education out there. Um, you know, any of us, you can DM or email and we have no problem answering any questions. So I think it's important to ask questions, teach yourself so you understand. Um, that doesn't mean don't trust your coach because you didn't make the decision to use them. Um, but, you know, make sure that they can communicate why things are being used. And it's not a just because I said so kind of situation. Um, that way, you know, you're in the good hands and you know, you can trust the decision and everything like that. So don't be scared to ask questions and then you reach out to anybody. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of smart people in this industry and, um, you know, we're always looking to help where we can. Yeah. Um, one of one other thing too, is where could they reach or look for some resource? What would you recommend and how can they reach you? So you could reach me on Instagram. My Instagram is just gifted underscore Kuza, K-U-Z-A. Um, honest to God, one of the best things to learn these things from are medical school lectures on YouTube. Because if you can understand it from that aspect, you won't have to worry about understanding it from like a forum or something. Mm -hmm. Learn it for what it was used for, what the physiology behind why it's being implemented. Um, that's how I learned a lot of that stuff was just through actual lectures. And then you can, you can kind of piece together where it would be put in bodybuilding. I like that. Um, it's such an easy, accessible resource, you guys. YouTube, <laughs> just it's literally, free. <laughs> just, you literally jump on YouTube. Cool. All right, man. Well, thank you, Dom, for once again, putting your insight and your knowledge into our podcast. Again, we can't thank you enough for describing a lot of information here. Like he said, make sure you guys need, if you need to reach out to us, you can follow him up on Instagram, or you can hit us up on Instagram um, and we'd love to hear from you. So um, thanks again, Dom. We of course, thank really, you. really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. Thank you. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. I'm Austin, your host. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough for all of your support out there with WPB Health Consulting. Um, we've had several successful competitors here this last year in 2021, and we're looking forward to 2022 and 2023. We want to thank all of our support and followers for bringing our vision to life of bringing clarity to coaching. So thanks for listening to today's podcast and make sure that you check us out on any other platform or any other previous podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well um, and click the link to find out more information.